0: Thanks for having me on, Todd. It's really nice to be here.
1: Absolutely a pleasure. My name is Abby
0: I am the Chief Commercial Officer at Bright Farms. And that means I lead marketing and sales and basically anything that's not growing it or shipping it, uh, I work on here at Bright Farms. And I've been here for about seven and a half years. Yeah, And, you know, this was my first role in produce, so I've learned it all on the job and um, I'll never leave it. I love it here. Um,
1: it gets in your blood, doesn't it? It sure
0: does. It sure does. And, you know, I, I've always been in food. Um, so my whole career has been in food and marketing and sales of a variety of products. Um, fortunately, all ones that that I, for the most part, felt really good about selling, but this one, you know, certainly I joined because it really aligned with stuff that I care about. I want to make people healthier and I want to make the planet healthier, and so here I am.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And I mean, what a you know. It's what a trajectory that Bright Farms has had, right? We're going to get into all that because, as normally, I have like 900,000 questions I'm going to ask you. But, you know, it it is interesting to hear your perspective saying, Hey, I've been doing this for seven and a half years. I didn't start in this business. Now I'm, you know, I'm just stuck to it. And I think a lot of that has to do, as I say, it gets into your blood, but I think it really has to do with the community of people that are in this business. It's unlike anything else because we all have the same pain points. We all deal in highly perishable stuff. We're always a race against the clock. Our, our problems, you know, your problems or somebody else's problems, just in a different state, maybe a different community, whatever. But it's all the same. And I think that, that brings us together as a true community, which is what I think is one of the coolest things about this. I've been doing it now almost 40 years. So you can imagine from my perspective of where it was, Way back when, to that era, back on the LA market, I mean, my God, you want to talk about a bastion of hell um, to see this evolution, ag technology take off, organics become real, and, and you know all these other things. It's pretty cool. It's it's a pretty fun ride. Like to your point, I think it's neat to be in this community.
0: Yeah, and I think those of us within the community don't even realize how cool it is, right? I mean yeah. to be able to work in an industry that you can really say is making a difference in the health outcomes of people's lives. Yeah. So, you know, we should we should all be shouting that more from the rooftops because quite frankly, this is where all people should want to work.
1: Good point. Well, good point. I mean, hey, you gotta eat, right? Yeah. <laughs> you absolutely. gotta eat. You gotta absolutely. eat. So let's get into it. Let's tell everybody a little bit about Bright Farms. That, that, that those that, that that those that do not know, that was hard to say. I don't know. I've got a little, little problem going on this morning. So tell a little bit about the history of Bright Farms, if you wouldn't mind, just to kind of get everybody up to speed on what's what, who you guys are.
0: Yeah, sure. So Bright Farms was founded by a gentleman named Paul Lightfoot back in 2010, I believe it was. And we've been growing commercially since about 2013, um, mm-hmm. not long before I joined the company in 2015. And You know, what a wild 10 or 12 years it's been. Obviously, the industry has dramatically changed and we're now the leading grower of indoor salads here in the U.S., um, which, you know, is is something that I, I couldn't even have imagined that we would be talking about when I joined here seven years ago. Um, but, you know, indoor salads are, are really becoming the growth driver in the salad category, which is obviously a, a big and important category in produce.
1: Yeah, no doubt. So being the biggest, right. And you guys, you guys were kind of the first to kind of get ramped up. I mean, the first publicly to kind of get ramped up, you guys have been aggressive with your growth plan over the last, especially over the last five years, I would think for sure, maybe even less than that. So how many farms do you actually have? Cause it's not just one, you've got multiple farms in multiple states.
0: That's right. We have six farms today. Five of those are farms that you know we built and developed, and those are in Virginia, Illinois, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and North Carolina. And then we also acquired a farm in New Hampshire, uh, which is Leaf Farms up in Loudon, New Hampshire. So that footprint of six farms gives us really a strong network up and down the East Coast and yeah. into the Upper Midwest.
1: Right, and then obviously expansion plans to come, I would certainly imagine. You can't imagine, yes. I can't imagine with, with, and we're going to get into Cox a little bit in the backside. I can't imagine they're going to let, they're not going to sit around and let dust settle.
0: No, that wasn't that wasn't the intention. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't think so. Sense. So I think today, you know, for Bright Farms and for the broader indoor salads category, the growth is really, truly constrained by capacity. You know, yeah. today we can only grow as fast as we can put these farms up. And uh, we were acquired about a year ago by Cox Enterprises, big strategic investor, twenty-plus billion dollars in revenue a year. Um, and they they saw that they they saw that the market opportunity is so large. They're a really committed investor in the space and in sustainable agriculture overall. So they are ready to really you know push our growth and the farms that we're looking to build over the next. The year to three years will be somewhere in the neighborhood of three to ten times the size of our current farms. Right. Um. So we will easily four x our capacity in the next two years. Um. With with significant growth plans beyond that. You know our our goal is to really develop an indoor salad supply that can be a full service option for retailers that are
1: looking for it absolutely well let's talk about cox really quick because you brought it up let's you know it was one of the questions i had you know they've got a big portfolio and again you know cox enterprise part of cox communication it's it's you know it's it's a baller brand it's they're definitely out there but you know their commitment to ag tech is amazing and they've got some you know they've got their tentacles in a lot of different places and a lot of different other businesses as well that to take away from what else that they do but how are those synergies? I mean, now you're at the point where they've got to be, you know, there's got to be some synergies going on between the portfolios now. Are you, is that at the point where you're starting to lean on some of these other enterprises and say, hey, you know, what, how do you do stuff? What are you doing? Well, here's what we're doing and getting some of that uh, kind of that cross culture going.
0: Oh, absolutely. There's a, you know, Cox is a really strategic investor and acquirer. So there's a reason they put us all together. And, you know, the, the newest company that they've taken a significant ownership stake in is Moochie Farms. Yeah. Um, you know, and Bright Farms, leading grower of indoor salads, you know, with about, with about seven to 10, year, 10 years of growing experience under our belt, paired together with Moochie, who is a leader in tomatoes and vine crops and berries and has been doing it for six decades? Yeah. I There's that. a lot of opportunity for us to learn from each other, to collaborate together, and really to go to retailers and say, we've got a program for you that can be, you know, across your entire produce department that can pull together a greenhouse program from one supplier. And our ability to collaborate there and just do really exciting things to drive some growth is really exciting. I mean, for us to partner with Moochie, we, we, we sort of laugh and we call them the OGs of CEA, right? They've been around for a long time yeah. doing this. We all talk about CEA as if it's this new thing. when in fact, you know, Moochie's been out there doing it for a long time, and we've got a lot to learn from that. And yeah, so got we, love. those I'm- conversations are just getting started. Uh, because Cox's ownership stake in Moochie is is relatively new. But man, we think the opportunity of working together is something that's really exciting. And certainly, our retail partners are are putting calls on our, our calendars to talk about what this might mean. Uh, and and we're excited for it.
1: No doubt. There's a ton of synergies. I mean, you think about what you can do with what you're doing. Let's talk a little bit. We did touch on it. I want to make sure I get to it. You're growing a salad, you know, all leafy greens. So just yeah. different salad blends, different lettuces, et cetera. Um, anything else that, I, you know, basil, things like that, or is it just all leafy greens. I want to make sure we're, I'm clear.
0: We absolutely do grow basil. And I will tell you in the past, there was there was a hot minute where we grew tomatoes. Uh, we just decided that, hey, you know, to be really great, we want to be the best at one thing, right? Yeah. And we really want to be the best at growing high quality salad greens that are sourced locally and delivered extremely fresh Mm -hmm. and really go deep with our retailer partners around that one thing and not try to do too much. Um, So that's been our focus. So we've got salad greens and we've got a broad assortment within salad greens. We're one of the very few growers of indoor hydroponic spinach. We're the largest indoor spinach grower in the world, uh, in fact. But we've also launched things like salad kits, which obviously right. are a big part of the salad category. And so we want to be the real solution provider in salads. Uh, and now we have a potential partner to help us, you know, get, get broader within the produce department underneath Cox.
1: I think it's great. Let's talk a little bit, because you, you touched on how you guys grow, which is hydroponically. And, uh, and just... For the edification of everybody of what hydroponic it is, is, um, it has been around a bit of a minute. So you can go back in history and, and go back to 290 BC and, you know, you think about the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which was hydroponic. You go back to the Egyptians and you find in the hieroglyphics, you know, dating back several hundred years uh, before Christ, that um, they were describing how they were growing plants along the Nile River, but without soil. Uh, you've got the floating gardens of the Aztecs and I got a bit of trivia for you. I'm going to give you some hydroponic trivia before I get into my question about the oh no. the. the, the, the okay. Yeah, a little, little trivia here. The U S army and the Royal air force actually had hydroponic units on their military bases back in world war II as part of the war effort. Here's a, here's a quick, yeah, no doubt. I didn't know. I thought, here. Oh good. He's not going to ask me a question.
0: Here it comes. Oh no,
1: I'm going to, we're not there yet. No worry. You're not getting away from this that easy. So here's a question, but I think this will blow you away, because it blew me away. Back in 1952, how many pounds of food do you think the U.S. Army produced hydroponically? 2 million. 8 million pounds of fresh produce was produced in 1952 hydroponically by the U.S. Army. Isn't that a trip? I blew me away when I read that.
0: Thanks for joining the Toddversation. And now, a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Abby Pryor, Chief Commercial Officer at Bright Farms. On behalf of all the Bright Farmers across our great country, thanks for listening to Versations and Toddbits. At Bright Farms, we care about the health of our planet and its people. Our mission is to give more people access to the freshest, tastiest, cleanest, and most responsibly grown salads available. We grow our salads by harnessing the power of the sun in our advanced greenhouses located close to your grocery stores. Our salads are delivered... In as little as twenty-four hours after harvest, so every Bright Farm salad you buy is fresh, tasty, and sustainably grown. It's a big job looking out for the health of the people on the planet, but we're up for it. So give one of our Bright Farm salads a try today and become a part of our Bright Farms family. Thanks so much. Yeah, so I actually love this because you know I I think it's a proof point that what we're doing is not a science experiment, right? No. What we're doing is optimizing and commercializing a tried and true method that's been around for you know. 290
1: BC. 290 BC. <laughs> yeah, you
0: know, exactly right. Internet, now we're internet, doing it I with think. a lot more technology and a lot more AI and certainly, you know, more automation than may have been uh, <laughs> that may have been utilized. In the past, um, but you know, it, we grow with the with the with the source of sunlight as our primary as our primary energy input, uh, yeah. and we just get smarter about how we contain that sun, and we use water, and we infuse water with nutrients to mimic what you might find in soil, but do it in a way that's very controlled, and we can give plants exactly what they need um, to grow with with bigger and to deliver a great tasting, high quality salad green. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's as simple and as complicated as that.
1: Yeah. Well, talk a little bit about the benefits of the technology. Cause you know, water's a big part of it, right? Water runoff. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can touch on. Pesticides is another one. Um, yeah. So touch a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, to just kind of frame up a little bit of, you know, some of some of the attributes that you're, that you guys are talking about.
0: I mean, it's called controlled environment agriculture for a reason, right? We get to control our environment and therefore we get to control our water, um, which enables us to ensure that the, that the, you know, entire environment is optimized for the plants. And we use all sorts of technology to look at, you know, what is the humidity like in the greenhouse? How are the plants doing from a germination perspective? We use tools that help us understand how the plants are thriving across the course of their life so that we're able to forecast and plan based on the health and the the well-being of the crop. So, you know, we we are surrounded by great technology that enables us to build really high quality plants. And in a controlled environment, we can really manage the inputs and the outputs to ensure that we are doing our very best to make a safe product as well.
1: I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, you know, you guys have accomplished a lot from a distribution footprint. There's no two ways about that. you know, you're not in just two stores. You know, you're in a, you're with with the six farms and what you're doing, the expansion plans, this and that. I mean, you really have, you've you've led the way for, I think of that in in a lot of ways. How many stores are you guys in at this point? We are
0: in just over 4,000 stores, which is hard. It's hard for me to imagine. I'll tell like a little story. Um, which is that when I joined Bright Farms in 2015, we had one little tiny farm in Eastern Pennsylvania. We were building two commercial scale farms. And within three weeks of me joining Bright Farms, our one major customer that we had, we were just a couple of hundred thousand dollars revenue at this point. Our, our primary revenue producing customer declared bankruptcy about, <laughs> about three weeks after I joined Bright Farms. Um, which was a daunting, daunting uh, reality at the time. And I thought, you know, how am I going to sell these thousand cases a week that I need to sell coming out of this farm? Um, And, you know, I look back now and think, you know, how hard that was, how hard we had to work to fight for every single store at that time, you know, even DSD, we would take any store DSD just to get in there and be able to prove that this was a model that would work. Um, so, you know, you you fight for stores one at a time for a while until the flywheel starts to spin. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've got some pretty good distribution.
1: Absolutely. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because it is, it has been a challenge. I mean, there has been a barrier to entry, you know, for CEA getting in, especially with leafy greens. I mean, it's a tough category all the way around. I mean, it is. So, you know, how have you guys risen above that? I mean, I know you talked about going direct DSD, but I mean, talk a little bit about the barrier to entry and, and, you know kind of how you got through that. I mean, because I I remember the day, I remember the days on the Friday when they think they're going to harvest, you know, 400 cases of broccoli and they come in with 3000. I know what that feeling is like, right? It's like, (laughs) oh shit, now what? Right. It's tough, especially, you know, especially early on in the organic deals, we were trying to scale and grow. People didn't give a rip, right? I mean, I was dialing for dollars every day just trying to get somebody to just say yes, to give me a PO because we had product to move out. I can, I can totally relate to that feeling.
0: Yeah. In the early days, I have to say, you know, we didn't have, we didn't have results. We didn't have a case study to sell to say, Hey, retailer, this makes so much sense for you. You know, please, please, please see how we'll drive your growth and, you know, bring us in. In the early days, we were very much selling a concept or a theory Um, and Obviously, that's changed now. Um, but in the, and I'm going to give a shout out to actually two retailers who, in those early days, believed in the concept and believed in that this could be a path forward that was better for both their consumers and for the planet. And that was Ajo Delhaze, particularly Dave Lassard at the helm there, and the, the Roundies business led by Bob, Bob Mariano at the time. And both of those customers really kind of, you know, gave us a shot to say, yeah, we're going to partner with you. If you build these farms in our markets, we're going to be there to help you sell this produce. And without those two, I wonder where where we would be. And quite frankly, you know, it was successful programs there that helped us to build this business. So it was a couple of retailers on the leading edge, really helping to drive the the whole CEA Mm -hmm. model forward in salads.
1: That's awesome. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, you, you talked about the great and powerful Dave Lassard at, at, at Ahold, uh-huh. and, um But let's talk about how retailers have embraced the greenhouse technology as a whole, yeah. right? Because, and I'm not asking about like back then, I'm talking about like where we are more, I think, yeah. more today, right? Because it has evolved, it has changed. And it's a challenge for retailers, right? It really is. Um you know, if you just had a a box of widgets, it would be easier to plug and play, but you don't, you know, you're you're mimicking other things that exist. And so that does make it sometimes a bit of an issue. So talk to me a little bit about how they've embraced the technology.
0: Yeah, I would say, um, the first thing they have to do is embrace it with some space, right? Salads are, are typically sort of a a contractually led, um, category. And so, You know, I think what we've had to do over the years is earn the space and the footprint to be able to earn that expansion. Um, And But what we've seen is that this category, this indoor grown segment can be the real category growth driver for retailers. And so as they're starting to see that, that, you know, certainly embracing the technology, we've had every single one of our major retailer partners out to our farms. They truly want to understand how this process works. They want to understand what the capabilities and the limiting factors of it are. Because if we, if and when we deliver them a really consistent product that's really fresh, the question becomes, what else can you grow, right? How else can we, how else can we expand this program? How can we make this a bigger part of our, of our shelf? Because what we see are some real threats um, as it relates to field grown products right now. Um, sure. Whether it's weather, whether it's freight, whether it's labor, you know, there are some real challenges and they're looking to try to make sure that they've got some redundancy in their programs right. so that right. they can continue to serve the customer well. So they're embracing CEA and, and, and both greenhouse and vertical models in the salad category with very open arms. Um, it's really more a question of where can we take this what can we do, you know, and, and what are the limits around around this model? And that's what
1: we're trying to push. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Well, you know, and you, you hit it. You know, merchandising's tough, right? I and mean, especially for CEA, especially for Leafy Green Gut. You know, what's your point of differentiation? How much space? What's the value, et cetera? So, you know, in a perfect world, if, if Abby had one wish to make, you know, do the I Dream a Genie moment right now, um, how would you like to see retail handle CEA greenhouse product?
0: Yeah, I think I would like to see retailers think about it as a primary supply versus wow. a secondary supply. Wow, so that's well how said. How do we how do we start changing the conversation to be about you know how we can how we can deliver more of the consumer needs in an indoor model um, and think about what does the consumer want and what does the consumer prefer versus what has kind of been the optimal product coming out of the field grown side. So, you know, there are certain things that grow really well on the field grown side. So consumers have gravitated there. Would they gravitate somewhere else if Mm. that product became available? So I think it's about opening up our our minds of not just replicating what's existing today, but if we could develop something new and different, would that be even better? Um, And so I think that that would be my dream. Let's not think about what exists today. Let's think about what consumers really want and love. And then let's develop that.
1: I like that. No, that makes total sense. I mean, you know, it, and it is a challenge. And I mean, retailers, you know, got how many items are in the store? What's happening today? What's the problem? Where did it rain? Where didn't it rain? Why is it truck late? I mean, all these different things these guys deal with every single day yeah. is a real challenge. And you're right. And I think that it's so important that we make that unified front in a lot of ways because of the attributes that, This technology brings to the consumer, to the planet, to the climate, to all these different things that, you know, are certainly at the forefront of conversation today. Um, But you're right. We've got to get, you know, you guys need a little bit of a cheerleader in there. You guys need a little bit of a, you know, hey, a little flashing light over here type of thing would be good because ultimately, you know, this technology, your guys aren't going to slow down. And anybody that thinks that, you know, it it is, you're wrong because... (laughs) The world's not going to allow it to slow down because you know, hey, I I saw a cloud yesterday float over my house. That was it, right? There's no rain in California, so things are changing drastically from a climatic standpoint. And this technology, you know, brings food into food deserts. So people need to understand what I call the positive cost of food that this technology brings. This new round of farming brings that's been around, you know, since the gardens of Babylon. So let's not think. I don't want to make it sound like it was yesterday. You know, you guys just came up with this yesterday. This is just expanding on something that's been around a very, very long time.
0: Definitely. And, you know, I think when we think about it, depending on how you look at the retail salad category, without even thinking about food service, it's about six to $8 billion, depending on what you include. Sure. And right now, the indoor grown segment of that is about a, a couple hundred million, right? Yeah, it's so, small. Yeah. When, when we think about, you know, growing the pie, Right. Just a just a few percentage of of, of points of growth on the salad category enables growth for the indoor players, enables growth for the outdoor players. You know, I think the real point is by delivering upon product that consumers love, by adding capacity to be able to put more product into the market, how do we drive consumption Mm -hmm. so that consumers are eating more of this product that makes them healthier and lives longer?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, well said. Absolutely. I'll talk a little bit about your guys' involvement in the CEA Food Safety Coalition. You guys were a founding member of that group, uh, you know, looking to try to drive standards, looking to drive, you know, conversation around food safety, get everybody unified on this plat. And why is that important to you guys?
0: I think we see food safety as the one issue that should never be competitive. Food safety is the one issue where if we learn something that makes us better, we want to share it, right? right. Um, because this is this is what's good for the whole category. It's also mm-hmm. what's good for consumers and people, right? We all have families. We all feed them our product and others. And we want to feel good about that. And we want to make sure that we're continuing to advance food safety, particularly in leafy greens. You know, it's a product that very, it's almost never cooked, right? Right. And it's eaten right out of the container. And so we have to be the best of the best every single day. Yeah. Um, and we should be pushing each other to do that. And so the CEA Food Safety Coalition was was founded with that in mind. How do we raise the standards for all of us and ensure that we're all living up to the best standard that we can, that we can deliver?
1: Well, I 100 percent agree with you food safety is not a competitive issue food safety should be something that you know we all need to be working together it isn't you know it's incredibly important right um, yeah. and I know you guys are putting the seal you know on your packaging for that which is great which I'm looking forward and hoping that that starts to garner momentum and consumers start to recognize that seal but you know I, I do want to bring this up and, and and talk to you about bringing it up and you're gracious to talk about it a little bit you guys went through a recall which is a just a horrific experience it is a real challenge I, I been in experiences before where you get a phone call at five o'clock on a Friday saying, Hey, you have a problem, you know, in Georgia or in Atlanta at five o'clock on a Friday. I don't know how, you know, Oh Lord, here we go. Right. It's, it's a real challenge. And it's certainly not something anybody wakes up going, God, let's do that today. That sounds like a fun day. That sounds like a fun experience. So let's talk a little bit about your recall. now. I'm, I'm really interested in what it taught you guys as a company.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're bringing up Certainly the hardest, I think, uh, time in Arms yeah, history and for sure. one that, oh man, we, we learned so much from, and, and hopefully we've, we've done a really good job at sharing that out. But we, we learned that there was a potential link to an outbreak in and around Illinois and Wisconsin that, that, you know, maybe linked to our Illinois farm, we, you know, voluntarily recalled the product, shut down the farm and went right into an investigation. And, you know, I think the things we learned were, you know, to always assume it is us first, right? Assume, assume that, you know, that the, um, the weight of it comes to you immediately and quickly. And so, You know, once we were alerted with this, we brought in some of the best experts in all of food safety and science, which is matrix sciences and had them help us lead us through it, because certainly we had never faced this before. Um, And, you know, and since then have kept them on, you know, on the team with Bright Farm since we've added food safety people at every single one of our farms to what was already a strong existing food safety team. And we also focused deeply on culture. Um, and so, you know, I think what we learned in and in throughout this whole process is that you can't always test yourself out of it, right? You've got to, you've got to make sure that your food safety culture is, you know, deep, deep, deep within the organization and that you learn about any potential concerns well before they could ever hit the market. Um, and so know, since then we have presented back out to the CEA Food Safety Coalition a detailed, a detailed accounting of, of what right. happened and what we learned. And, you know, I think we are we are deeply committed to continuing that in the future and working to have a food safety culture that where you know we would hopefully find out anything beforehand. I will say that, you know, since then we've had actually just in the last week, we've had a couple of um, inspections that went extremely well. And we think, you know, we we always felt really strongly about where we were from a food safety um, perspective. This was humbling in that knowing that even when you're really good, you know, the worst can happen. Yeah. and so we just are, are doubling down and preparing to make sure that, God forbid, if we were ever faced with it again, we're ready and we handle it with the same values that we did this, this last time.
1: We're yeah, really proud
0: of our team and, and, and how we came through it, but it was not an easy time.
1: No, it's not. And, and, and it, it is a real, real challenge. And, you know, it, it's hard to figure out what Mother Nature's doing all the time. Right. Yeah. We, you know, in the, in the, space that we're in, you know, in the ag space, you're working every day with mother nature, you either work with her, or you work against her, which I would not advise the latter. Um, but it's tough. And, you know, it's, it, it becomes a, you know, food safety to your point, it, it's, it's an issue for everybody to embrace equally and make sure that we're all on the same page. But, you know, again, you didn't wake up wanting this to happen. Um, but I love the fact that you are so forthcoming about it, that you guys, and and, and talking with Matt a little bit, you're, you know, who's running your food safety program, understanding where his head's at. and you know, the way that you've embraced the change, you've been so transparent and open with it, especially inside the coalition for what, you know, I'm understanding, which is great. But, you know, you said something about how culturally it becomes a bigger thing. And I think that that's, you know, that experience certainly had to change your company culture a little bit because everybody, doesn't matter who you are in the company, feels that experience. I mean, would you agree with that?
0: I would, you know, there's something that's really unique at Bright Farms, uh, which is different than any other company I've ever worked at with in the past, and it just sort of happened naturally. We very much call each other Bright Farmers, um, uh-huh. and that's an internal word, and there is a tremendous amount of pride um, from from the people on our team in calling each other Bright Farmers. Um, it's a it's a really big. Uh, compliment to someone we're interviewing to say, oh yeah, they're a great farmer, right? That that means that that they bring the same commitment to purpose and commitment to mission that we all have. And so that deep, deep sort of pride in the organization, I think made this event even harder because people took it really very, very much to heart, myself included. Uh, And so I think you know, it was, it was an amazing learning across the board and, you know, we come out of it stronger and, you know, and we, uh, we still have tremendous pride in being break farmers.
1: Yeah. There's no doubt. Yeah. There's no doubt. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate you kind of framing it up a little bit and and sharing with us how the culture and how the company and how you looked at it, because I think it's, it's, it's as an example for others, right. To, you know, embrace food, embrace food safety. Don't, you know, and I had a conversation with somebody about this the other day and I'll share it with you. you no, know, we were talking about food safety. Food safety is the one topic nobody wants to talk about. They all know it's important, <laughs> but nobody wants to get, there's nobody rushing to a food safety meeting, right? It's just the way it is. And I think that that's dangerous in a lot of sense, but that's really how it's kind of, it's, it's no different than like, a, you know, a, a warehouse meeting, a logistics meeting. It's like, Oh, those aren't, the, those aren't the fun topics, right? Let's go to a sales meeting, right? Let's talk about PM. Let's talk about whatever it might be. And that's a challenge. And I think it's important that companies recognize that, everybody's vested when it comes to food safety all throughout your company.
0: Every meeting we have internally starts with food safety. So it yep. doesn't matter if you're me, if you're talking about this or that or something else, our weekly team meeting every week starts with food safety. And we want it to be the first thing we talk about each and every time we sit together, sit down together as a team. And it helps that the leads of our food safety team, Matt and Jackie are really fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that's great. No, I think it's wonderful. I appreciate, again, appreciate you for talking about that. Something I didn't bring up, but I, w- I want to come back around and I, and, I, and I do this with all of my guests. I love this conversation about consumption a little bit. And, and you know, one of the things that I believe in, if we want to, you know, if we want to reduce food waste, we should probably work hard at increasing consumption, right? That's really, the, in my opinion, is like the first line of defense in a lot of ways. Um, but one of the things that's happening with a downturn economy and statistics from the past tell us that when the economy starts to go south, like we're experiencing now, and I think it's going to continue to, to, to kind of ramp up going south. I don't know how much farther south we can go before we kind of circle back on top of each other. But nonetheless, um, you know, in a bad economy, statistically, produce goes down in sales. It's not you know, it has a tendency to shift a little bit. People start to rationalize. Right. There's things that are going to happen. So you know, my question to you is how do we keep it up? How, how do you know, how do you guys look at in trying to keep consumption up in front of the minds of the consumer and making sure people are making good, healthy choices. Don't sacrifice, you know, keep the fruits and vegetables going because ultimately it may be a challenge, but it's going to better serve you long-term than that 79 cent box of garbage or whatever you might replace it with. It's not going to be as healthy for your family.
0: Yeah. A couple of things. One is that we find that when the consumer sees tremendous value, they will purchase more. So for instance, when when they go into a a retail store and they see product that was harvested two days before, uh, because there may be an hour outside of where that farm is and they might have 12 or 13 days left of code on that product and it looks crisp and beautiful, they will buy two. And if they normally buy two, they will buy three. Because they have the confidence that it's not a waste of their money. Right. When we're giving them product that looks a little wilty, and I don't might mean we by Bright Farms. I mean, no. we as a produce industry, when we, when we put product out there that looks like a risk for mm-hmm. consumers, that looks like it might go bad more quickly, that maybe doesn't look like our best quality, they're going to choose to send their dollars elsewhere because right. that dollar is a risk. So I think the first thing we have to do is really focus on quality and making sure that that consumer has real confidence in spending those dollars, that they will enjoy it on the back end and that it will be there for them to enjoy. The other piece is kind of the kit that's over your right hand shoulder. Um, you know, we developed <laughs> our left hand shoulder, I guess that would be, you know, we developed these kits to really compete with a salad that you would have at a fast casual restaurant. We didn't just say, Hey, what are the salads that are in the salad category at retail today? How do we add things to them that are more similar to what you might see at, you know, in a food service or, you know, another, another place out in the world. And so I think giving them experiences at home that are similar to what they might have had out of home, but at a much lower, a a much lower cost will help as well. So we've, we've put two kits in the market today. We have set, you know, you know many more to go to give a, a broader offering. But how do we give them an exciting culinary experience at home? Because what I've learned, and I learned this at Brandstorm, the IFPA, is that- Shout in, out, shout out. Yeah, shout out to Brandstorm. Um, is that, you know, in this in this next round, what consumers are saying, they will cut back on first is dining and restaurants. Yeah. So we're going to go back into a point where out-of-home food is, is struggling, I think. And so how do we give them out-of-home food in-home and keep their enjoyment um,
1: just Level the up. same
0: at a, yeah. better, at a better value?
1: Yeah, and you know that the reason I ask that question is because when you look at what happened during the pandemic, right, you saw these increase because people were eating at home, right? And so produce specifically saw some really great momentum and, you know, what I don't want to see happen is that, you know, we, we were giving, you know, however you want to describe the pandemic, we were giving a very nice runway in the produce business because of this pandemic. Yeah. Okay, silver lining, whatever you want to say. I hate to see us lose that as the economy goes south, because people, to your point, are going to be making these other choices and, and quality needs to be there. I mean, there's a lot involved. And so what my big fear is, and I've been kind of banging this drum for a while, is like, look, you've got all this momentum. Keep leaning into it. Keep talking to the consumers. Keep letting them know why this food's important. Why this makes a difference to your family. Keep eating, you know, 10 pieces of fruits and vegetables a day. I don't know what, you know, let's keep the number up. high. As of 15 is a great number, right? But keep that yeah. rolling because it's so important. So I think, I appreciate you coming alongside and sharing that opinion. One of the things that you guys do that I think is really, really cool. And I'd like to talk about and give you a, you know, two-part question. Um, talk to me about Bright Labs. And what you guys are doing, your little secret spaceship stuff that you guys are doing there, which I think is super, <laughs> super cool. But you know, share with me what it's about. And really, I think what I think is really cool in my question I'm going to ask you to me, which what I'm fascinated by, is like why it matters. And I think when you think about ag technology, I think that's a, a kind of an important question that needs to be associated with a lot of things that are happening today. Why it matters. So, do you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about that?
0: Bright Labs are run by a gentleman named Dr. Matt Lingard. He's very good.
1: Theme music again.
0: Yeah, theme music again. And you know, he is leading a team uh, of Bright Farmers to break through the sort of CEA barriers that we have. Today. Sure, sure. Whether that is reducing the carbon footprint that we use to grow greens, whether that is expanding our assortment. To be broader and complement the full sal- salad category, to working on our ability to take spinach even further uh, as we grow and as we scale. It's a really smart team of both growers and scientists who are putting their brains together to say, you know, how can we build the tools to ensure? that our indoor farms can truly be a, a, a full supply for retail partners in the
1: future. I love that. Well, again, you know, the key word, the key word is innovation, right? And I think that that's one of the big things that, I I think at times we don't think about that word enough when we talk about emerging ag technology, CEA, greenhouse, let's face it, CEA and greenhouse are pretty much an interchangeable word in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it, they really are, <laughs> but you know, it. it Innovation is so important um, that we need to invest and we need to be a part of it. So when I think about something like a Bright Labs and what you guys are doing, you're looking at data points, you're looking at all these different things that are out there. You know, to me, that's what I call, consider a positive cost of food, that if we are making these investments, investments in innovation, how are we going to feed 9.8 billion people by 2050? I mean, how are we going to make this thing work? How are we, you know, you know I, I think about today about the, the current state of the world and you know, it hasn't hit us yet, and it will hit us eventually. It will hit the world eventually. People in Africa are going to have a hard time with food, considering a vast majority of it comes out of the Ukraine. The grains, the fertilizers, and that not to keep that country going. I mean, it's going to be a real problem. I've talked to somebody just recently um, in Africa, um, and, and shared, she shared with me a little bit about the concerns that they're having, and the growers are feeling, and the pinch that they're feeling, and where it's going to be. Innovation is going to be a really important part of the next 10 years of agriculture, no matter what part of it is. And so I think it's great to see a company like yourself, step up, embrace that, tackle it and come from an angle of how are we going to do this better for the future? Right. I think it's just super powerful.
0: No question. We launched a product in 2018, which we, which we branded sunny crunch. Um, And you know, it was something new that we were trying. We hadn't seen it in the market and in less than 18 months it became our number one product over both spinach and spring mix and so you know i think there are plenty of things out there today Mm -hmm. that are just yet undiscovered and consumers you you know they aren't the number one item in the category yet because we haven't given them to consumers yet so how do we find these things that that consumers will be delighted by that grow consumption, that grow the category and also bring something new. Um, we really had, we, we, we had no idea that product would be as successful as it has been.
1: I love it. I mean, it's great. Continue. Kudos. Kudos to you. Kudos to Matt. Kudos to the team. Keep pushing. And I know with Cox coming on and Moochie and this other stuff, that innovation conversation is going to be totally different here shortly. Right. I'm quite sure. I'm I think quite that's sure. likely. <laughs> yeah sure. so what's next we're kind of wrapping up our time a little bit what's next for bright farms in the rest of this year 2022 in the future got some gossip a little secret yeah. come on drop a secret
0: a lot of growth so okay. we will that's be that's not a secret give me something <laughs> better give
1: me some dirt give me something yeah
0: shovels in the ground on three farms by the end of the year
1: much bigger than
0: our current farms today. So, um, you know, we are we are on the path to make sure that we are making good on the promises that we've made to to our partners today. And so that's it. Just 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 more to come.
1: I love it. Congratulations. This is awesome. Thank you very much for hanging out with me today. I appreciate you. You're one of my faves. I just enjoy talking to you. I always have. I love your outlook on this business. I love the fact that. You know, you're still technically a newbie in some ways, and you've got that, you know, I just, I love that wide-eyed spirit right now about how this industry has touched you and how it motivates you. And I think that that, it resonates out of you. So congratulations, you found your niche in this crazy business.
0: I think I have, Todd. That's really nice of you to say. It has always been a pleasure right back at you.
1: Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Everybody, thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for checking out Bright Farms. Go online, see what they're about. You know, 4,000 stores, not gonna be hard to find them. Go out and uh, give a try of their product. Thanks for hanging out with us. Don't forget, you know, check us out on social media. That's where the cool kids are. You know, that's where we hang out. And so uh, come back, share, your store with us. Come on, join us on this conversation. Let's chat let's keep the positivity going. Remember, go inspire somebody today. It's really important. Just say hello to them. It's a great place to start to make somebody's day better. You have that ability and we should take advantage of it because our global community needs a little more niceness in it, doesn't it? Take care, everybody. Thanks for watching. See you soon.